Hello, Rich Bowles here, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Dad Mindset Show. How are you going this week? Are you hanging in there on this wild parenting journey? Hopefully today's guest, James Kendall, can help inspire you to get outdoors more with your kids and get in touch with your wild side. James and his partner Lee run Woodland Classroom in the UK and have a wealth of knowledge and experience teaching kids and adults how to connect more with nature. So I hope you thoroughly enjoy this conversation as much as I did. James Kendall, it's great to meet you face to face. Thanks for having us. It's uh, great to be here. <laughs> now, um, you and Lee uh, were such an inspiration to Sarah and myself, um, basically with uh, Wildcraft, which I think we'll get into in a short while. But I mean, to begin with, to introduce you, you're the head bushcraft instructor and forest school leader at Woodland Classroom, which is uh, all about teaching people to connect with nature for improved well-being. So who or what inspired you to begin this teaching journey, James? So for me, it's a, it's a love of nature, which came from childhood. Um, and I think that's a common thread that you'll find with so many people that um, have work with the natural world um, now as adults. You know, that love was sown in childhood, whether that be through parents, grandparents, um, from them passing it on. And so, you know, for me, I've got a real affinity with woodlands and forests. Um, there's a magic about them a real kind of ancient magic, which links back to so many old stories, tales, nursery rhymes, even old legends, which come out of woods and forests and characters set within them. And uh, yeah, I just get really inspired by nature, being outside, the adventure that comes with exploring a new outdoor space and not knowing what's around the corner, really. There's something very childlike about that. And I'm really glad that's not gone away as an adult. And I want to pass that on to other people, um, whether that's through play through the wildcraft you mentioned before in the forest school we do with kids or with the adults with inspiring them about teaching things they never knew about the natural world did you know you could eat this plant do you know if you you can make a plaster out of this mushroom do you know this uh, material here will help you light a fire you know and you just see things go off in their head little light bulbs go off and go wow look at this look at that and it it's about getting people to look at the natural world in a new way I say a new way, it's a very old way of looking at the natural world that we've forgotten. Um, well, almost forgotten, thankfully. There are plenty of people out there that have been passing the knowledge on. But uh, yeah, it's an old way of thinking that needs to re- um, a be kick rekindled. for the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah rekindled, absolutely. <laughs> now, I mean, you say this old knowledge. You, you've studied under some of the UK leaders in bushcraft, greenwood crafts, sustainable woodland management. What have been some of the biggest lessons you've learned that's interesting because it, I think a lot of it doesn't come down, the biggest lessons don't come down to the skills, such as all the particular way to light a fire using this particular method, whether it's fire by friction, flint and steel, all these ancient methods. It comes down to lessons in attitude. Um, first of all, the lesson of slowing down and paying attention to what's around you. Um, and that can be good good advice for anyone in any situation whether they're getting stressed in at work life or whether they're in a real survival situation slow down and pay attention to what's going on around you look around and you'll start to notice the details um questions will start to rise in your mind when we slow down we notice details we really see what's going on and we adopt a mindful attitude 
and we're adopting the pace of nature and that's when secrets of the natural world are revealed to us so i think try not to rush through things we're not rushing through the outdoors slowing down to really appreciate it and take it in yeah that's one thing i would say um always learning and always questioning you can never say i know everything i need to know about trees there's always more questions and any good subject only gets bigger the more you learn about it as you go but why is this now why is that and then you're like it's like you you get through a door and there's another door on the other side of the room you go, oh right okay now we're going to go through there and you just keep going so always learn always keep the brain active you know and always be questioning and asking questions as to why why this um and um that's going to keep you keep your enthusiasm going as well that's really important and that's important for working with kids as well that kind of always questioning attitude because kids are constantly asking questions so they can be inspired by us doing that if we're asking questions that we get they'll be doing it too you know they'll copy us children copy adults don't they they want to be part of that tribe so uh, if we can have questioning minds and be curious and adopt that childlike attitude then the kids will do the same as well yeah but i think the other thing as well is the idea of owning your knowledge and i think from a somebody who delivers these skills in a professional base my mentor said to me you need to own your knowledge you can't just read things from a book and say i know this plant is edible you have to go out and actually try it and it might well be edible but it might be horrible it might be edible and very good for you but it might taste awful or it might be the best thing you've ever tasted until you try it for yourself you don't know and that goes for all of this stuff so i think it's important to own your knowledge and speak from your own experience and uh and I think for professional integrity, that's important. And also to make sure that knowledge is um, is passed on correctly, to make sure that we're not just passing on third-hand knowledge. And that's really important. And also, of course, by owning our knowledge, we have to go out and experience it. And that's the best bit, isn't it, to go out and have these outdoor adventures for ourselves. Um, that's really important, I would say, too. Those those are the three things. Yeah, that's great, James. Uh, and earlier yeah. on, you actually mentioned forest school. And that's a big part of sort of mm. passing on a lot of this stuff to kids, isn't it? Mm. Like how, yeah, would yeah. You, how would you describe forest school how would i describe forest school it's an interesting question forest school so for those that don't know do you have forest school in australia it's just starting it's nascent over here like there's bush bush kinder has been a big thing over here mm. um but forest school is only just starting in in certain areas uh, my wife's actually just doing her forest school training this week so um, amazing yeah she's she's totally uh uh enthused and, and super excited about it but it is just just the tip of the iceberg i think absolutely well that's interesting i mean it's been in the uk since about early 90s i think it came across and it's rapidly spread and it's widely known i think if you go to any school now and ask a teacher what is have you heard of forest school and they would probably say yes so that's good it's really grown in the uk originally it comes from scandinavia where they have a much closer kind of culture to the woodlands i think finland for instance is something like 70 percent woodland cover or forest cover which is amazing um you know so it's there it's in their culture they're living besides woods and forests all the time uk in comparison has pretty low woodland cover if you you know compare it with other countries in europe but we really love trees in the uk we have a real love for them and actually in the uk we have i think more um veteran oak trees than any other country in europe um even though we don't have very much woodland cover i'm getting off point i like talking about <laughs> trees so um with forest schools so it came from scandinavia brought over here and the idea is child-centered learning 
So rather than going out with an agenda and saying, today we're going to learn about, um, today we're going to learn 20 species of trees with kids. We're going out into that natural outdoor setting. So of course it's outdoors as you would expect. And it's child-centered. So the learning comes from the kids. They spark where the idea is coming from. And it might be that they're starting to look at these trees and they're, they're building a shelter or a den. They go, oh, this tree's really strong. And you go, oh, you know, that's a, what is this tree? Well, it's a strong tree, isn't it? What does it look like? Okay. Oh, it's got these buds here. And oh, look at this bark. It's really interesting. Oh, there's another one over there. I wonder what tree this is. And, and you know, that conversation starts to happen and it comes from them rather than from you saying, we have an agenda today and today we're going to learn this. Um, and that's really important because it's about getting them, as I said before, to ask questions. It's about promoting curious, questioning minds, because if they have that habit, they're going to take that into adulthood, adulthood and always be questioning things around them, wanting to learn. That's really important. So you've got, you know, child-centered learning. It's experiential. It's hands-on. They're outside. They're doing it. They're not just learning about it um, from a TV program, documentary, or in the classroom. In theory, it's real. Um, it's regular as well. With forest school, it's not just, oh, um, we have one day of forest school a year and they go on their forest school trip. It's about it being part of the learning culture and being regular. So ideally, you know, at least once a week, kids are getting a forest school experience because the growth, the holistic growth of not only their, their learning, their skills, their knowledge, but their emotional intelligence, which is equally important, and their social skills happens over a long period of time. And their confidence in the outdoors and confidence in themselves and in the skills they learn grows over time, particularly with risk taking as well, because forest school is about creating a, an environment of which is supportive and nurturing where kids feel they can take risks, whatever level they're at, which are kind of appropriate to the kind of their ability and the environment. So whether they're going to be building a ladder out of scrap wood and climbing up it, balancing on a beam, um, going further away from the camp than they might be used to or lying down, hiding in a bush against maybe some damp ground, which, you know, if the, you know, the parents have taught them never to touch muddy things, <laughs> you know, with forest yeah. school, the kids can learn, you know what, it's all right to get muddy yeah. kids. It's okay. You know, or, you know, if they're playing hide and seek, are they hiding right by there's a spider's web and they notice that, and, oh, are they nervous yeah. about that? Maybe more so in Australia, not so much a problem <laughs> over here. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's about them getting used to these things and used to that contact with the natural world and having the positive experience with the natural world. So it's not just, something that's over there yeah that in it and having and that it, regular contact is really important i was going to say the regular contact as well would really nurture that sort of connection to seasonality as well and sort of grounding mm. people in in the seasons which i guess we're so divorced from these days mm, absolutely i mean this is a great part of the world for seasons um although less so with climate change uh but uh you know it's really important for kids to see that you know i've worked in on a woodland project a few years ago when we were managing woodlands and this older couple you know older couple probably in their 60s walked through and they said oh it's great that you manage the woodlands but it's too late isn't it all the leaves they're falling the trees are dying aren't they and I thought it's autumn the, the leaves fall every year you know and it's you know and uh, not to have a dig at that couple particularly but what it highlighted was the disconnect that they you know they didn't make that that simple connect that it's autumn the trees aren't dying this is natural and that's a very <laughs> black and white kind of obvious um uh, example it's uh thankfully the exception not the norm but still that connection seasons is really important and seeing like now the blossoms coming out all the woodland wildflowers and are all coming up the grasses are growing and the days are getting warmer 
it's all very important really for kids to just get a sense of place and have that connection to the outside world. Absolutely. Yeah. What are the sort of recurring themes that you find? Like what are the the favorite type of activities that the kids sort of gravitate to or, 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 or like a, there's almost like you can almost tell from a group what their you know, favorite thing is going to be or, or the direction they're going to mm. want to take you in. Is it particular for different age groups or what, what patterns do you notice with kids groups? I would say with kids, the, if I just sat there and did absolutely nothing with no prompting whatsoever, I bet most of the time they would go and build a den. Um, and there is something again, very ancient um, speaking to us there, some ancient click in the brain that says, I'm outside, I need to make shelter. I need to feel comforted, comfort and have a home. And whether that's just through play, through kids building den, or whether as adults we're thinking, oh, I want to put my tarp up or <laughs> I want to get my hammock up or maybe build yeah. a natural debris shelter. There's something very hardwired again going on there. And den building is probably the number one activity. Um, and of course, as we come to adults, that becomes shelter building. We get more technical about what we teach and how you can do it more effectively. <laughs> yeah. But for kids, it's just important to have positive experience. But I'd say den building, they love it. And they go everything from building their own little dens to actually starting to build a town and a community, which is interconnected. And then one den suddenly becomes the post office. And another den is the greengrocers. And another den is a cinema. And they're all kind of trading things like sticks, like money between them. And this play just grows. And that's fantastic. So yeah, den building number one, I would say bug hunting is probably almost up there. Number two, looking for little creatures and seeing what's out there, looking under rocks, under logs, getting the little creatures in pots, having a look, wondering what it is. You know, those are probably the top two, I would say, out of it for sure. Kids love it. <laughs> and what about adults? <laughs> <laughs> what would you say would be the top activities for the, for adults? For adults, I would say um, firelighting. Um, would be probably joint number one um, with wild food and foraging. Yeah. Um, with firelighting first, you know, again, there's a theme here. We're triggering something very ancient in our brains. That moment that our ancient ancestors discovered that they can control and then make fire is just the absolute turning point in our history when suddenly we are at another level and <laughs> you know we can control the elements around us. You know, and that means, you know, you've got warmth, you can cook food, you can sterilize water, you know, you can push into further colder landscapes, um, which you couldn't go to before and survive through those seasons that we said, you know, there's so much that you can do with it. Um, you can forge metal, you know, it all comes from that discovery of fire. So, you know, the idea that, you know, when adults come on our courses and they learn that, you know, through fire by friction or what people, most people would say, rubbing two sticks together, you know, can make fire. Yeah, that's real. It's not just something you're going to see on a movie. This is something that can be done. And actually, it's very achievable um, once you set out a few simple rules and give them the right tools to work with. It's very achievable. And that, when people make their first fire comes alive, the flames burst out from that fire by friction using a, a bow drill set, which is what we use, you just see that just the absolute joy in their face from that the first time they've done it. It's like that connection to our ancestors is immediate. And then you get great joy from that. And the other one, as I said, is wild food and foraging. And wild food and foraging is one of those activities that in the lockdown um, just skyrocketed. It's, I think it's one of those things that um, maybe like knitting, crochet, widow gardening. Sourdough. So people always, yeah, people want to have, say, I'd love to have time to do that, but never have time. And suddenly in lockdown, people have time. 
and they were able to explore their local natural spaces and they were forced to only explore locally of course they couldn't go too far from where they lived so for those of us who are lucky to be living in green areas we could go and get into foraging and people love the idea of food for free and a free meal and that again it's opening up the uses of plants around us not only for food but for medicine the idea of you know edible mushrooms we have some of the tastiest mushrooms in the world in the uk and some of the deadliest so you gotta know <laughs> what you're doing but yeah people get addicted very popular yeah i can totally imagine that. i mean um sarah my wife she um uh, she knows a lot about bush food as well. Like she's taught outdoor Ooh. ed and everything. And and when friends are hanging out with our kids and, and one of our kids picks a berry off that Sarah's already said, yep, yeah, that's cool. And the, the look on their face is like horrified. They're like, what? You're eating a berry? And they're like, yeah, try it. And, th- and then they look at Sarah and they're like, is that okay? She's like, yeah, it's sour, but you can eat it. And it, it's mm. just this like look of, this is amazing. We can actually eat things off a bush. This is so cool. I love it. <laughs> it is. It's yeah. And that's, you know, that's it. We're all connected through food, aren't we? So, excuse me, you know, foraging for wild food is, a, is something we can all do. Food brings everyone together. It's very, there's a big sense of community when you bring food together and cook together, isn't there? Yeah. Whether that's at a community center together at a party or around a campfire, there is again, something very ancient being scratched there. And, uh, that's a good thing. And, uh, we've just run our wild food, uh, weekends just this weekend gone. We are having wild garlic and garlic mustard, elm seeds, um, all kinds of stuff being thrown into the mix. Net stinging nettles. Do you have stinging nettles over there? We do. Yeah. Yeah, there you yeah. go. And they're one of the best wild foods. They're everywhere and people want to get rid of them. Um, but they're one of the best wild foods out there. They're so good for you as well. How do you prepare them? Do you have to soak them first or something and get rid of the water? Or what, what's the process there, James? So in terms of getting rid of the sting, there's two ways to get rid of the sting on nettles. You can either apply heat or you can bruise them. So you can squash them down between your fingertips and roll them very tightly. And that's a good trick to do with kids because um, the tips of your fingers are thicker skin than elsewhere. So you can do that, pick it, squash it to your fingertips and pop it in your mouth and you can eat that straight away. Great trick for kids. Practice <laughs> it a few times before you do it in front of kids. So yeah. You look really, really cool. Um, or you can apply heat. So usually uh, like a quick blanch, so quick um, boiling water and then into cold water to stop them cooking any further um, or thrown into like a soup or stew near the end, a bit like you would spinach. You wouldn't boil spinach with an inch of its life you know it's quite a delicate green um nettle so kind of put it in towards the end as long as it's been bubbling for a couple of minutes those little tiny hairs those stings will shrivel off so that's another way to get rid of it or of course nettle tea in there that's going to shrivel the hairs as well so that's what you need to do and it's just those very tops the best fresh tender leaves that in springtime as we are now in, in the uk that's what we're looking at right now and if you keep picking those tops those new tops will keep getting produced. Yeah. And that's the best bit of the uh, the eating. Right. And I mean, I've got to ask you yeah. about birch syrup, because looking at your Instagram Ooh. profile, uh, I immediately gravitated towards pancakes covered in birch syrup because I've never tried it. How, how does it compare to maple syrup? I think it's better than maple syrup. Uh, <laughs> it's great. Um, really good stuff. I think it's probably in my top three, top five wild wild foods of the year. It takes a bit of processing to do. You've got to gather a lot of it to get syrup. So 100 litres of sap will make one litre of syrup. So whereas maple sap contains around 4% sugar, birch sap only contains 1%. I think it's about 40 litres, isn't it, for maple syrup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you're 
you know, you're getting less uh, for your money there. Um, but it's excellent stuff, really good. And it's got a kind of a, it doesn't taste like maple syrup. It's sweet, but there's a kind of like a slightly, there's a slightly caramelized um, quality to it as well. It's difficult to describe. It's not maple syrup. I think I'm just going to have it. to try it, James. <laughs> That's what if it's coming you, down Yeah, to. <laughs> if you've ever had the sauce off a creme, creme caramel dessert, yeah, the yeah. little kind of, it's a bit like that. Oh, wow. That's, that sealed it's the deal. closer to that. Okay, it's cool. awesome stuff if you can get it. <laughs> now, I mean, you, you said, um, you know, it was up there in your top three wild foods. What would be the other two? Mm. Oh, no, that's the question. I really like um, Wimberries, um, which are commonly known as Bilberries um, uh, in the rest of Britain. Um, Wimberries is the local Welsh name for them, um, or Blaberries in Scotland. They're, little, they're, like, they're basically um, our blueberry. So you've got the American blueberry that most people know you can buy it in shops. The Winbury or Bilberry is basically that shrunk down to about at least half the size, but they pack much more flavour. I find blueberries quite bland, to be honest. I don't think there's a lot to them, but Winberries are beautiful little kind of bombs of flavour. And they're coming out in kind of the back end of summer up on the hilltops and heathers. And you can scoop them up with a berry comb and turn them into a pie um, or put them into a, like a wild summer pudding, something like that. Um, I've got a bit of a sweet tooth, you can tell. So there's two sweet ones straight away <laughs> yeah. in my top three. And then wild garlic. Um, wild garlic is a really easy one to recognise in this country. It's out right now in spring in abundance. It carpets ancient woodlands. It's very difficult to confuse with anything else because it smells so strongly yeah. of garlic. And my favourite thing we make with that is kimchi, which I think is a, it's a, a Korean dish. And uh, traditionally kimchi is, I think, carrots and cabbage, which is fermented um with ginger and chilies um and it's used as a side dish we use the green of wild garlic leaves instead with ginger and chili and that's fermented and that's lovely and it preserves that wild garlic season great side dish really packs a punch loads of flavor oh fantastic that sounds great james (laughs) (laughs) now um while we're on the subject of foods i mean what are what are your favorite campfire snacks to to do especially with kids groups campfire snacks with kids you know what Kids love marshmallows, don't they? I can't stand them. I don't like them at all. So we had to look at other things, you know, because there's a point where we're, you know, running off our school, we cooked a lot of marshmallows over the years and we thought there's got to be something better than this. So, of course, you know, there's a lot. They're not vegan, are they? Um, They're not uh, the best friend of the environment, marshmallows. So um, uh, toffee apple slices is a good one. So you take an apple and make a slice, put it on the end of a pointed stick and you roast it over the fire. Um, not in the flames, you need coals really, otherwise it just goes black. Roast it till it goes a little bit soft after a few minutes, and then you dip it in your toffee sauce, which for us is just brown sugar with a bit of water just to liquefy it. Dip it in that, put it back over the fire for another minute, just turning it, and that toffee starts to crisp up and bubble. Take it off the fire, let it cool, and you have a little toffee apple slice. And it's, it's vegan, so um, it's friendly for everyone, and uh, at least the kids are getting a little bit of goodness in there it's not just sweet <laughs> but toffee apple slices are awesome a lot of fun yeah um they're a good one for sure no um I, I saw the video where you made damper as well like what's the secret to making good damper oh well damper's australian isn't it you should be telling yeah me. no 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 <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm from i'm from bridge north near shrewsbury so like, <laughs> like a, i'm an english boy boy at heart yeah, we've stolen damper and claimed it as our own in forest school. Um, so, I mean, damper is as simple as you want to make it. It could literally be 
flour, a bit of baking powder, and then water from the stream. I think that's, you know, the bush recipe of it. Um, even you can even do it without a raising agent if you wanted to, but it's pretty bland. So what we do with it, we make it a little bit sweet and a little bit more scone-like, cake-like, I should say, um, to make it more appealing to kids. Because if they're going to try this for the first time, and knowing that kids probably have a palate that's more used to sweeter, fattier foods. Especially when you're trying to sell what, it over marshmallows. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, when you're battling marshmallows, we've got to use every trick in the book. So um, we'll use um, self-raising flour. We'll use um, a little bit of butter in there, or spread, um, a little spoonful of sugar, um, and then uh, milk or plant-based milk instead of water. And then we'll make our dough out of that. So you've got something that's immediately a bit more cake-like. Yeah. Um, and then the trick um, is to not do when you um, roll it out into a, a snake and then you wrap it around a stick, don't you? Yeah. Wrap it around. It's like a twist. Don't make it too thick because I find that kids' patience a lot of the time won't last for it being cooked properly. Um, so if you have it a little bit thinner, it's going to cook quicker and cook it over a bed of embers. And of course, um, over in Australia, you guys are the masters at the barbecue, aren't you? So, you know, you know how to cook out a barbecue there. We're not cooking with flames or cooking with coals and embers because flames will just make the outside go black and you get a gooey middle, whereas <laughs> embers are going to bake it nice and evenly, turn it every now and then. And I think there's a lot of fun as well in uh, getting kids to make little jigs out of sticks to make it hold itself. There's a bit of an activity there, a bit of learning about balance and maybe some knife work as well and trying to make something that will hold your damper stick per- at the perfect distance from the fire so you can sit back and relax while it cooks. Um, so, yeah, take your time, turn it every now and then, and uh, nice raked out bed of coals. That's the trick. And then, you know, when it comes off the stick, you can shove um, some jam in there, maybe some chocolate spread or honey, whatever you want, really. Uh, yeah, good fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's making me hungry, actually. <laughs> but, but before um, we move on, I, I have to ask, what's your favourite type of popcorn? Favourite type of popcorn? Well, I just like it plain, what I call wood smoke flavoured when yeah. it's done over the campfire. We get two sieves together on a stick and put the popcorn in there and uh, and that goes over the fire and you just cook it over the embers again and then kids can see it popping, which is amazing. Um, and that's a revelation, like you said before, about kids saying, wow, you can eat this from a bush? Suddenly it's, wow, you don't need a microwave to make popcorn? <laughs> you know, I like yeah. it wood smoke. But my wife, Lee, she does um, a, a vegan cheese and onion version. So what you do is you cook your popcorn, and then while it's warm, you toss it in just a little bit of coconut oil just to make it slightly sticky. And then you give it a dusting of nutritional yeast and a little bit of onion powder. Um, so it's vegan as well, and it makes a cheese and onion popcorn. And that goes down really well. So there's a recipe to try out, folks. That's that's nice. <laughs> uh, I actually saw the video and it blew my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, it's like cheese and onion crisps, my favourite. Uh, yeah. So I'm totally having to try that with the kids next time we get a campfire going. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> we, uh, we mentioned earlier, like we touched on Wildcraft. Can you just describe how Wildcraft, well, what it is to start with and how you and Lee started it? Okay, cool. So for any... Um, American listeners, they might think wildcraft um, and wild food. I think that's what they refer to wildcrafting as being foraging and making things out of wild it- items. But we didn't know this. And we saw the game Minecraft, of course, which has been phenomenally popular with kids and still continues to be. And we thought kids love computer games and video games. How can we get them off screen and outdoors? What can we do? What can we use that they know and love already and take it outdoors as a way to say, hey, there's this thing called forest school and bushcraft, you know, come out and, and have a go at these skills. So we created Wildcraft. So it's wild Minecraft in a way. 
And we looked at the game Minecraft and we thought, okay, you're going out into an environment. You have to use little tools. You have to build a shelter before nightfall. There might be monsters around. You've got to collect resources. Oh, there's a couple of different tree species named in this game. That's interesting. There's birch and there's oak and there's pine. We have that in our woods. And it kind of built. And we created this game called Wildcraft Adventure. And uh, basically, the kids get into teams. They're dropped into this wilderwood, as we call it or the woodland biome, and they've got to survive. And they get XP, which is points, for collecting various resources which are hidden around the woods like a treasure hunt. They have um, a game sheet which gives them points for making and crafting different things, like they've got to make certain tools. If they want to make a tool, they've got to come to me. We get in the workshop and we use some sharp tools together to make some items. They've got to collect different colored rocks and blocks, and they can trade between teams. So certain kids might have gathered a load of gold nuggets that we've Um, scattered around the woods and another team has got a load of iron ore and they can swap it between them so it's a whole game experience with trading crafting eating wild foods um trying out um using sharp tools um buying things from a marketplace and a shop that we have out there and scoring points along the way and then there's a monster which comes and attacks them um periodically throughout the game it's a lot of fun and that's usually me um in a ghillie in a ghillie suit (laughs) With a creeper mask on. If anybody knows creepers, can you, can you just describe James what a ghillie suit is, just in a case? A ghillie suit. Uh, yeah, one of the um, listeners hasn't come across. Okay, it. apologies to anybody um, from the services here because uh, that, that's not me. So I'll probably match this up. But a ghillie suit is basically um, a camouflage suit covered in kind of um, green, brown, black tassels, which makes you look like a walking bush. Um, like a, sni- a, a total sniper, sniper outfit, use it, it yeah. to just hide in the jungle yeah. and um, you know it covers your whole face and everything and breaks up your entire form you can get them from army surplus shops or on the internet a lot of fun for high for you know extreme hide and seek with the kids have some fun with the ghillie suit <laughs> um we've done a lot of fun games with that but then stick a creeper mask from minecraft on top and suddenly you're a walking creeper and uh, the kids just go crazy and those are got to be some of my funniest memories of running our wildcraft games um and sessions outdoors with kids just them not knowing that this is going to happen and suddenly i appear from around the tree <laughs> and they go ah and they just scatter all over the place and suddenly the game is real it's yeah. no longer on a screen it's like we're out in the woods and we're doing this for real you've got to hide from the monster you know and they, if they haven't built their shelter well enough you know the monster can get in and the monster can tag them they lose points. That's it. Whereas if they built an awesome shelter, the monster can't reach in. And of course, I'm, I'm pretty kind to the kids when I do this really in terms of uh, what makes a good shelter. But it's about giving them an incentive to build and craft these things throughout the game. Um, and then they have to build a fire and they have to keep their fire going because the monster is scared of fire. So, you know, if they've got a fire going, they've learned that and the monster can't get them. So the monster's a way of just giving them an incentive to just get to the next level of the game. And it's a lot of fun. It's just been crazy. And it went crazy for us when we created Wildcraft. We had so many parents from all over the UK wanting to attend and we couldn't keep up with demand. Um, And so then we basically packaged it up, turned it into a kind of a a game guide and resources that um, people could download. And we put it out there to other activity leaders and they've they've, uh, taken it on themselves. They've purchased the pack and there's been people all over the world running it. And it's amazing. And it's just that idea of getting kids off screen and outdoors. It's a gateway activity to say hey you love this game come and see what this is all about you know basically it's bushcraft isn't it it's what we're doing but if you call it kind of wild minecraft you know or something like that then parents get it as well and get what you're doing and they've loved it because they said look i can't get my child out 
to a traditional forest school because it's got the word school in it and that does put a lot of people off um there's a lot of people who argue that forest school is a terrible name for what it is you know but, um, <laughs> Good whereas, point. if you say it's minecraft outdoors kids go what yeah i'll do that <laughs> and they come on that and then you say by the way kids if you love this we've got all these other activities you can come on like a holiday club and they come on to all of that as well um and it's just a great gateway activity for getting kids out there yeah um yeah, it's a joy. It was, I mean, it's <laughs> it's like the ultimate Trojan horse. It really is. And because we downloaded the pack uh, for mm. my son's birthday last year. And like his friends were all seven at the time. <laughs> a couple of were sort of eight. And yeah. it went off. Like Sarah and I, we weren't that au okay with Minecraft. Like we've, we'd seen the kids play a bit of it and stuff. We weren't versed in it ourselves. So it took going through the game the first time ourselves to actually click. And once it did, we're like, holy smoke, James and Lee have done an amazing job of like, sim- like assimilating the whole Minecraft universe into this game and the kids got it instantly because they're all over they completely grok Minecraft and and so mm. we we sort of stood up there described it and put on a bit of a show and stuff and and Sarah's graded all that sort of stuff and and the kids the look on their faces when they ran off looking for the the, the gold nuggets the trying to find the emerald and all that sort of stuff around the farm mm. It, it you know the parents were sort of watching on completely nonplussed like what the heck is going on here and and for two hours the kids were completely absorbed in making shelters making potions like gathering wildflowers uh and then they'd trade to get a snag from the barbecue for you know yeah. uh, doing what for points and then like you say mm. trading and so there's maths and everything in it like it's the first birthday party we've ever done where maths was actually embraced into the birthday mm. party and then the prize for the winner the winning team was like they got the first guernsey at the ice cream bar at the end where they got to pick the first <laughs> lots of sweets and, and parents texted us all throughout the week afterwards going that was hands down the best party like my child's ever been to they've they have not shut up about it all week and and so hats off to you james it was so good like you you've really done an amazing thing there and like that's I, amazing to hear thank you for that i really appreciate that it's lovely to hear it and isn't, isn't it great to hear that kids are the same no matter what part of the world you're in you know the kids in the uk and the kids in australia same thing and there's that, that minecraft's that universal language but at the end of the day it's play isn't it yeah it's a way of getting to fire the kids imagination and getting them to play and there's loads of learning like hidden in there but um yeah it's been so much fun and uh yeah uh we've loved creating it and just to reassure you i've never played minecraft <laughs> I, I bought a book on what is minecraft which is written for kids to understand how it all works but right okay i get this Let's write a game. And then I asked kids that I wrote it and went, is that right? Is this right? You know, you know, and ask them a few, play it. And, you know, of course, kids, as you know, know so much about these things, you know, and they really get into it. And so you don't need to know Minecraft to play the game. Um, because kids will fill in all the blanks for you and their imagination will do the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was one of the mistakes I made because I sort of drew a, a map of the farm and and put like a hint as to where different minerals were deposited like there's the yeah, slate yeah. mine the gold mine over there and and nice. we're always devastated because as we like crossed over the rickety bridge and the kids were in teams like just ready to run off i gave them a map <laughs> each. i was like now you probably want to head that way if you're looking for gold yeah. and and maybe and i just dropped too many hints and will was gutted it was like 
I wanted to lead them off like that. I can't believe you oh. gave it away, Dad. So, like, that was me thinking I would have to explain it more than I did. Like you say, the kids just mm. got it, and they they were off and racing. So it it was a it was a an absolute delight to see kids just yeah. owning it uh, where, far and away above what the adults comprehended. And, there and I think there's a lesson there as well, which kind of links back to the forest school approach of teaching, which is knowing when to step back yeah. and knowing how much you need to give kids or your learners. And you need to let them take the leap and ask the questions. Like, oh, I wonder where this is. And when they're ready or they're struggling, that's when you can drop the little nugget in and go, hey, there's this. So there is, I think as teachers, we're always like, we can be too ready to give the information. And actually we need to hold back and empower the learners or the players and let them discover and then it becomes their discovery yeah. rather than you know that hint so yeah there's a good little lesson there and i think that's something a lot of teachers could learn from. Yeah, well, and mean, it's something, you know I, was... I struggle with all the time because sometimes <laughs> you just want to share your knowledge you think no no set back let just let them make that discovery for themselves and th- invariably they do and you go yeah do you see that that's what i found as well awesome and they have that click well that's um, exactly yeah. what i was going to say james because i mean as adults it's probably even more important because I don't know about you, but it, like when someone tells you to do something, like, I mean, my mom, I love her to bits, but the minute she starts giving me advice, I just shut down. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm good, mom. I just wanted to share something with you. I don't actually want a solution. And, and I think, whereas when you find it yourself, it, that's when you learn, when you actually have mm. an itch or a, a problem and you like pull some information from different sources and you put it together and oh yeah i've mm. come up with a solution that's it you've you've owned that solution and it's it's much yeah. better whereas if someone just tells you how to solve that solution it it doesn't really yeah. you know, fit or it doesn't help you grow and um and mm. i don't know whether that resonates with you at all well and also learning it's the idea of learning through play and learning through games um and you know animals play don't they you see them uh, learning to they're using play to learn hunting skills, don't you? You know, um, carnivores, big cats, foxes, all kinds of that. So you see the young learning through play and learning, you know, dominance and um, uh, all of that and, and, and hunting skills around. And we learn through play as well and through games. You know, people love puzzles. This is why Sudoku, which I can't stand because <laughs> I can't do maths, is so popular. People love puzzles, don't they? You know, and it's the same with kids. And if we can present people with a puzzle and ask them to solve it, we're there ready to give hints when they need it, but let's see where they can get to first as yeah. learners, you know, yeah. rather than just saying, here's how to build a shelter. This is how you lock the sticks together. Off you go. You say, here's all the sticks. How can we put these together to make a shelter that's not going to fall over? Yeah. And you present them with the puzzle instead of just saying, this is it. Okay, next job. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a you're mentoring and facilitating rather than directly teaching. Yeah. And do you find um, most of the yeah. kids are actually generally that they come up with the actual thing they want to do and then they come and ask they come for, up, they come up with things you never even thought of <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> the thing. And you're like oh yeah wow why have i never thought of that because kids don't come with all the baggage we have as adults you know <laughs> of oh this is how you do things they just find ways around things because they just want to get to that um and they'll just find their own ways to do things so kids will come up with all kinds of stuff that you never thought of and we've added things for instance the wildcraft game later that kids came up with we thought yeah that's actually much better let's do that mm-hmm. you know um absolutely yeah kids are great at that because they don't come with all the rules stamped into them yet that we yeah. get as adults and, and insecurities as well you know confidence and all of that 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot we can take away from that as parents as well, James. Yeah. And, and I mean, you're a fairly recent parent yourself, aren't you? Mm. So uh, what, yeah, yeah. What, what, how's that going for you at the moment? It's great, isn't it? Being a parent's great. You know, we're lucky. And, uh, you know, my heart goes out to anyone who's a single parent. I now appreciate how difficult that could be sometimes. I'm lucky we've got me, me, me and my wife, Lee, here. Um, but, you know, bring up a child's heart, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it tests you in so many ways, but yeah. it rewards you in so many ways. And we said before we went live, you know, it's, it's it, somebody said to me, it will be the most rewarding thing ever and the most stressful thing ever. And they're absolutely right. It's, but, you know, the rewards, of course, completely outweigh any stresses in the grand scheme of things, because otherwise we wouldn't have survived as a species. We are hardwired to love our kids and hardwired to respond to that smile after they've trashed something. You just think, <laughs> oh, look at that grin, because that's how our brains work. Yeah. And that's yeah, we yeah. have to survive as a species. And it works. And uh, yeah, I love them to bits. So we've got a little 22-month-year-old um, called Baron. Um, and then we have another boy on the way um, due um, in about seven weeks' time. Wow. So it's going to be two little boys. And uh, that's my lot. Busy times, uh, so, busy times on. Yeah, <laughs> busy times ahead. But it's it's obviously yeah, being a parent's lovely. And it's great to because actually we worked with kids of all ages before we were parents, and we're always slightly on the outside there. Whereas now we're almost in the club. You know, you can join in all those conversations with parents, and you understand where they're coming from more. And I'm yeah, I'm sure it probably goes without saying that I'm a better forest school leader with kids now having had a child of my own than I was before because you just understand so much more you know you're more sympathetic to the parents and more understanding what the child needs yeah it's um it's, it's great I, kids, th- it? I think it, it brings us it, it brings us full circle though James because it, it's what you said earlier about you have to own your knowledge and and when you're dealing yeah. with kids and you're dealing with parents like before you have kids i always joke about you know before i had kids i was an amazing parent um but i think <laughs> you know, like, like owning your own knowledge is you know going through that crucible and, and understanding it you know tacitly you, you fully you know you, you mm. can't you can't learn that in a book you know you've, you've got to go yeah. through it and experience the sleeplessness and you know the 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 you know dealing with all sorts of challenges and then the rewards and all that sort of stuff. And mm. It is. It's absolutely fantastic. Such an adventure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? And just all the stages are precious. That's what we're realising. So now we're going to have our second one. We realise, oh, we've got to even cherish even more that early time that, you know, that went so fast with our first, you know, and because uh, every stage is, is precious. And, you know, when they stop one habit because they've grown a bit older, new ones will come that we don't know about yet. And so there's all loads of good stuff to come, isn't there? But yeah, you can't learn it from a book. And I know that my wife Lee had this book about parenting and she ended up throwing it on the floor because she was like, I just wholly disagree with what this book is saying. It just doesn't feel right. Yeah. At the end of the day, our gut instinct has got to be the best thing to listen to. And the community of That's people right. around us. The it community takes a village. of parents who have been through it. It does take a village. It's absolutely true. Um, you know, listen to those around you who've been through it and listen to your gut. And that's got to be the best thing all around. That's great. Sure. I, I think that's an amazing place to sort of uh, land this, uh, James. So uh, I want to thank you so much for your time today. And, you know, like I, I, I can't sort of 
say enough how great the work is you've done especially around wildcraft and people have to check it out especially for birthday parties but um how can people yeah. actually get in touch with you find your courses because you you and lee run a, a range of um sort of mm. workshops and courses what's the best way to find you well it's woodlandclassroom.com that's our website easy to find and it's woodland classroom on Facebook, um, Instagram, and now TikTok recently. We've finally joined TikTok. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've joined that, and that's been a lot of fun too. So well, that's where we are. Look for the little fox symbol. Um, we've run outdoor courses in, in northeast Wales, um, in the UK, in uh, bushcraft, foraging, um, mindfulness in nature. Um, and uh, But we have the online stuff as well. So for people all over the world, we have the Wildcraft game. You'll find that on the website um, or type in Wildcraft Adventure um and hopefully you will find us through that as well and you can buy it for like a birthday party or you can buy it all the way up to you working at an outdoor center in a school and running the game like for 30 kids you know there are different versions where we scale things up and down so there's something for everyone there and then we have online courses as well we have a, a tree identification course online that i filmed over four year periods of visiting all native trees in britain and also a wild food online course is about to launch um sometime this spring and that's about to drop too so yeah lots of stuff going on with us but it's woodlandclassroom.com well i hope you really enjoyed this discussion with james i certainly did if you'd like to catch up with james you can visit woodlandclassroom.com or head on over to the dad mindset website where i'll put all the links you might need especially to the wildcraft adventure info uh, which i cannot recommend enough if you're enjoying this podcast and would like to support it, the best way to help is to share an episode with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Also, if you have the time and can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful as well. Anyway, until we meet again, hang on in there. Hope you have a great rest of your day. And as ever, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. <laughs> <laughs>